I didn't know how to be a man. I was just a monster. And now I'm both. When that survival instinct kicks in with that darkness, it's pure killer animal instinct. Whoever was in front of me, that was the wrong place to be. I didn't care what I had to do. I didn't care who I had to use. I was going to get it done. If there was a wall in front of me, I tore it down. You have to start to create adversity and self-impose struggle on yourself. If you don't, you end up being just another dude who forgets that the very thing that got him here, he's no longer doing that. And I understand how to control that darkness in me now, but he went to sleep for such a long time over these past two years, but recently I have woken him back up. Welcome to the Conscious Wealth Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Griff. I'm a conscious serial entrepreneur with a passion for wealth creation, sovereignty and natural law, spirituality and consciousness, financial literacy, commerce, investing, and the game of money. I am the founder of the Level Up Collective, a conscious wealth mastermind in which I lead countless others through the process of unlearning most, if not all, of what we've been taught about the world and the game of money, and then relearning what the rules of this secretive game really are and how we can actually win at it. I was incredibly blessed to stumble across many of the secrets of the 1% at a young age. And rather than keeping it all to myself, I'm on a mission to share this information freely with as many people as I can. This podcast is going to challenge the very fabric of your reality. And at times, you may find yourself running up against some of your deepest unconscious belief systems. I encourage you to give yourself grace, keep an open mind, and never just accept what I say as fact. Always do your own research. I never want you to just assume I am telling the truth. I am not here to convince or teach you anything, but rather to reflect back and remind you of things that somewhere in your consciousness you already know. Take what resonates, discard what doesn't, and enjoy the ride. Now let's get started. What's going on, guys? We got a special episode for you guys today. Me and my man Nick are doing something new. We're in my new office studio that I'm building out. It's quite nice. Setting it up for more in-person content. And we just spent the last (laughs) 45 45 minutes minutes, (laughs) uh, setting up a whole host of things that you cannot currently see (laughs) off screen to make this possible. So this is the first time we've got Mr. Nick Comedina sitting directly across from me. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we tried Let's it before. We, we did try before. We it tried awful. it before, but it was amateur hour. Uh, at my last house, we tried to do it. We didn't have the right mics, so the, the audio, audio was, was all messed up. Oh, it was, it was atrocious. You know, there was reverb and echo, and then we only had one camera. Now we have a legit studio going on in here, mm-hmm. soundproofing everything. So hopefully, this is the first of many episode episodes that you guys will start to see on my channel, where I'm having conversations with guests in person. Uh, that's the goal at least longer term so happy to be number one welcome to the uh welcome to the pad first off this Thank is you. nick's uh we're, we're spending time. the day together this is his first time am i at our new home the and compound. um and then second welcome to 
the podcast, even though this is going to be on both of our channels and such. I, I, um, I believe this is our sixth podcast together. Yeah. Sixth or seventh. We've done. Yeah. We lot. tend, we tend to, uh, I think we both equally enjoy having intellectually stimulating conversations. Mm. We have the kind of friendship where, you know, we won't talk for like a month or two or three and we're just like building shit mm-hmm. and then we'll like reconnect and be like, what have you been up to? Yep. And every time it's like so much has changed. Yeah. And I think that's a very healthy style of friendship to have. Especially for entrepreneurs. Yeah. The entrepreneur route that we've chosen. Right. You know. Yeah. And so, yeah, this is our first time uh, hanging out in a little while. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot has changed. You've moved to Austin. Yeah, I'm in Austin now. And how are you liking that? It's interesting. It's new. No. And we had talked about this, but I just felt like I had outgrown San Diego. Yeah. For the time being. Yeah. Austin is, well, there's a large entrepreneurship community out there. There's a really large spiritual community out there. I kind of work by bringing those two worlds together. So it just kind of made sense as to maybe the next challenge or the next community for me to build inside of. And then I also had friends out there that I wanted to get deeper with yeah. and closer with. So it's been great, but I'm pretty sure since I moved in May, I've been traveling out of Austin more than I've been in Austin since I moved there because my schedule has just been utterly insane this year, which is all blessings, but it's it's a lot. Right. Yeah. And you recently said you've been you counted and you've been on 50 flights this year. I've been over, yeah, I've been on over 50 flights this year. I think I've been on either zero or one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been, I mean, it's been crazy, dude. It's been so crazy. But like we talked about, what I'm doing right now is the life that I literally prayed for right. five years ago when I was going through a whole other different types of struggles. And I said, God, I just... I want to get to the point where I can just travel for work and I can be on planes and going different places and speaking to people like that's what I want so bad. And now that I'm here, it's I think it'd be really easy to lose sight of that and just focus on all the hardships that come along with any new phase of life that you're in. Because what I was struggling with back then was, you know, scarcity, trauma, a ton of toxicity, not knowing who I was and very chaotic. And now I'm struggling with you know, lack of sleep and exhaustion and, you know, not being home when my friends are all hanging out. And there's just these different, different struggles that come with every new venture that you come into. And I think that most people screw themselves over thinking that they're, they're trying to just get away from struggle altogether. That's the life that they're chasing is I just don't want to struggle anymore. Yep. And that life simply doesn't exist. Yep. Yeah. And uh, you guys are in for a treat today when it comes to today's conversation, because me and Nick have been, you know, we've been having some conversations the last month or so mm-hmm. on a few different occasions where once again, surprise, surprise, we kind of realize like, damn, we're on the same. We're kind of in the same season. We're on mm-hmm. the same wavelength on some different topics that we're going to be getting into today. And one of them is exactly what, you know, Nick is touching on. I, I posted something on my story which I'll read in a minute. Yeah, you have to. I posted something on my uh, Instagram story a few weeks ago about this kind of aspect of, I think it's just part of being human Mm -hmm. where, you know, when you're in the shit, when you're in the dirt, (laughs) when you're in that season of your life, you just want to, all you pray for is for, like you said, for struggle to end. Mm -hmm. And conversely, when you finally get there, 
it's not, there's just so many misconceptions, you know, mm-hmm. it's not what people think. And so specifically the post was kind of about like, right. Did you read it? Read I have it, immense, it it. immense nostalgia mm-hmm. about that phase where I'm, I'm living with my mom. My family doesn't understand. My friends are making fun of me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm $50,000 in student loan debt. Like yes. just nothing to show for myself. Opposition. And, and I think back now how life was at that point compared to how life is now. And uh, really what I, what I was speaking to, and you ended up like reposting it on your story is mm-hmm. like, I, I like think about this almost daily, mm-hmm. if not at least weekly. Because when you finally make it, life gets so easy and you have to almost start to create adversity and self-impose struggle on yourself. And if you don't, then you end up being just another dude who's riding the coattails of what he did in the past Mm -hmm. and forgets that the very thing that got him here is you know he's no longer doing that he's Mm -hmm. no longer living that way and you kind of switch up and then that's the typical story of the person who made it and And then then you never hear of them again something that's while you bring up that quote something that just kind of came up to me for that is i wonder because that's that we both can totally sit in the fact that that's our truth and, and about how we need to constantly find that adversity to keep us going and i'm i'm wondering if there is a flip side of that of people who just aren't wired that same way as we are. Yeah. You know, because there are people who adversity doesn't produce results. It produces victimization. It, it produces a lot of constriction and a lot of fear and a lot of panic. And it's just, that just came to my mind of it's something that, and you, you do the, the hashtag very the few. And I love that. <laughs> I really do. I really do love that. And it's, it's such an interesting language to speak. It's such an interesting perspective or experience of life to come from that i just don't think i think very few people actually understand read the the quote read the 100 read the the post we're fired up guys this is going to (laughs) be this is going to be a very masculine one thousand and that's really like both of our truest essence Mm -hmm. and i spent many years trying to spiritual my way out of not being like that just oh, to come oh, full gonna, circle get so fucking of like, like yeah. I want to fucking hunt mm-hmm. and I'm not happy when I'm just trying to be all the time. Yeah. D- uh, read that. And then I'm going to, I'm going to talk about that and piggyback. Off. All right. So this is what I posted on my story, guys. One of the most magical times in your life is when you are young and working on something before anyone recognizes that it's valuable. It feels like you know a secret before everyone else does. Mm -hmm. If you are a young person in this position right now, it is so easy to get frustrated when success doesn't happen overnight. But try to understand that you will look back on this one day and miss the early grind. Soak it in. Things only get crazier from here. So that was a little infographic that I posted and then I kind of gave my own my own context on that of, you know, some of what I already talked about, but just, I read that and I was just like, that is so damn true. And then my mind immediately goes to all the people that, you know, most of our audience, uh, most of our students 
they're in that position Mm -hmm. and they just want to get out of it. They want to escape. And we're no longer in that position. And we're trying to find ways to get back into it. And I don't think the internet (laughs) realizes that or understands that. And I remember listening to the Joe Rogan podcast, you know, back when I used to watch, like, I wouldn't miss an episode uh, back in the, you know, the glory days of it, you know, when he was just having on heater after heater after heater. And he would have conversations with, you know, very successful people in different industries and such like he does. And they would repeatedly talk about this notion of like, you know, why Rogan's like, you know, people don't understand, like, why do I live the way that I do? Like, so like regimented and like rigid and like, why don't I like spend more of my money? And why do I just spend all my time with like my family and kicking my ass in the gym and Mm -hmm. saunas and cold plunge and this he does his whole life consists of difficult shit. Even mm-hmm. comedy is like you have to be sadistic mm-hmm. to get up in front of people and uh, risk that. And he's like, if I don't do this, I'll set the way he says it is like, I hate myself, yeah. but I think a, a healthier way is simply like you lose your edge, mm-hmm. you lose your edge. And, you know, the Bible talks a lot about a lot of the sins come from, you know, like gluttony, greed, mm-hmm laziness all of that creeps in like sin creeps in Idle when you don't devil's play thing. when you don't discipline yourself and mm-hmm. like remind yourself that you have to find ways to humble yourself essentially mm-hmm. to humble yourself and you know like i guess in a way it's kind of funny because like we're talking about this and like we're fucking no one compared to you know people like rogan and such right. in like a very 3d materialistic way oh, poor man's joe rogan but like we're already experiencing that at our level yeah and i think it's new for both of us so that's why like we just want to clarify like i'm not trying to we're not trying to claim to be you know billionaires we're not trying to claim to like oh we have nothing else to accomplish in life like it's more of just like this is a new journey for both of us yeah and uh, i think we're both kind of in sync in that sense of like i'm not like no one in my family ever experienced this. Like I wasn't prepared for this. Mm-hmm. I sure as hell know you weren't like, I didn't have a very close mentor to me where I got to see like inside their life to, to understand their struggles and stuff. So like, this is just new. Yeah. And, uh, well, I think and maybe we... not many people understand. So that's what we're going to talk about today, guys. Go yeah. Ahead. I was about to say, let's just re- maybe rewind it. Then we have a little bit better context oh, around yeah. like why we're struggling. Cause yeah. Jeremy and I, are from very similar backgrounds from entrepreneurship in terms of, you know, like you said, like not really having anything, nobody understanding you, people doubting you, people making fun of you. And, you know, for me, I grew up in a trailer park with a single mom, didn't have a father. And and back then you're literally Eminem. I'm literally Eminem. Yes. (laughs) And chicka chicka, you know, when, when teachers in school catch wind of you being the boy without the father you just already have a a target on your back damn and when you're misbehaving it's no longer just a kid being a kid it's well he has no father he doesn't know how to act he you know and there's just there's this massive target on your back and i experienced that in every single grade in every single grade i was always getting in the most trouble i was a regular in the principal's office i was fighting in school and i just i never got any slack 
because there was just this preconception notion of, well, he's a piece of shit. He doesn't have a father, which made me really fucking angry. And I was really angry that my dad was never around. There was this massive, just darkness inside of me of men. I I gravitated towards friendships with women and my mom loved me the best she could, but my mom was a very fucked up individual. Like I've actually never talked about this publicly, but my, my mom wanted a daughter and she would dress me up as a girl in front of her friends and they would all laugh and joke. And my mom would always tell me, Oh, everyone thinks it's so cool that you can do this and not care. And you're just so funny. And she would have friends that had daughters and the thing that they would do is dress me up and put makeup on me and everybody would laugh. And so to me, that was my, okay, that's how I get accepted. I understand. That's how I'm funny. That's how I'm safe. That's how I'm me. Right. And so you take the kid who doesn't have a father is hyper feminine because he doesn't know what masculinity even is, allows girls to dress him up. Everybody thinks he's gay. And now you have this target that everybody despises. And that was me. My mom sent me to school for Halloween dressed up as a girl one time. Oh, bruh. Yeah. And convinced me that that was like the cool thing to do. And throughout that, I just never had anybody actually take me seriously. And so when I got into high school, I'll never forget Miss Newton. Never forget Miss Newton, my senior year. She told me, you're never going to make anything out of your life. Because I was just the class clown. I was always, I was drink, I would drink in class. I would smoke in class. Damn. Just anything to get in trouble and be funny and show that I didn't care. And that's what I did. And I remember her telling me that you're, you're never going to make anything out of yourself. And that just like, I had heard it my whole life. And that thing just switched on. That was your chip. That was, that was, that was one of the chips on my shoulder. Yeah. And when I started personal training, I was like, I'm going to get into fitness. Take into account, I always got made fun of for being the tra- living in the trailer park. I got made fun of for the car that I drove. I got made fun of for working at Kmart. I, I always, no matter what, I always got made fun of, but I was friends with everyone. So my friends were all making fun of me. So it was fine. Quote unquote, it was fine. Right. It was just, oh, ha, ha, ha. They'd call me String Bean. They'd call me the trailer park kid. It was just, but I was their friend. So I was like, okay, I guess this is just what friends do. And when I started doing personal training and I said, I'm going to, I'm going to fucking do this. I want to, I want to own a gym. I want to be a YouTuber. I want to, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Every single person in my town made fun of me. Every single person at home. I saw text messages. Nick thinks he's fucking going to make it in fitness. He doesn't know anything. He's such an idiot. Like I just saw all of these, my friends, I saw text messages. I'd work at the gym. I could hear them laughing at me, training my clients, telling me I didn't know what I was doing. And I was never going to make it. And that just, it just, it was just fan on that fire, fan on that fire, fan on that fire. And that darkness from childhood, that darkness from never feeling like I was actually loved, always feeling abandoned by my father, always being so fucking frustrated because it felt like everybody had it out for me. It turned me into a monster. And I, I was a monster for so long. 
because that was that was all I knew how to be. Define monster. I went from this hyper feminine boy who only knew how to do that to be accepted. And I started imprinting on movies and anime characters of what it meant to be a man. And Vegeta from Dragon Ball Z was like my father figure that I looked up to. That was that was my, okay, masculinity. You fight, you scream, you yell, you put people down, anybody in your way, you fucking bulldoze them. Like that was that. And so when I thought, okay, be really aggressive, make people be afraid of you. Mm. And that was where I was, that was my focus. And where you place your attention is where you place your energy. And the only energy inside of me was darkness. So when you have this, this massive, I could just, I could always feel it. I could always feel like there was something inside of me that was awake. And it always freaked me out. And I never wanted to tell anybody about it because I, I did not know what it was, but it just felt like this massive thing inside of me moving. I was so terrified of it but I didn't know how to be anything else. And as I started entrepreneurship and, and I you know, got fired from that gym and I opened up my own gym and then from there on out, it was like, this is, this is do or die. And when that survival instinct kicks in with that darkness, it's pure killer animal instinct. Whoever was in front of me, that was the wrong place to be. I didn't care what I had to do. I didn't care who I had to use. I didn't care what needed to get done, I was going to get it done. If there was a wall in front of me, I tore it down. My only toolbox, my only tool in my toolbox was a hammer. <laughs> when was the, the quote? When, when all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was all I knew how to do. And I built a life for myself from this darkness, from this, this monster that was inside of me. Until I got to the point where the pain of the life that I had created was so bad, everything crumbled down. I lost everything. I almost ended my life, which I've talked about that on a podcast with you before. I almost shot myself in the head and something just woke up. I found God and felt the man in me start to come through. And as I started to lean more into him, this is where I had to go into a phase of immense spirituality, immense introspection, immense stillness. And I had to sit with this darkness that I had been running from for two and a half decades. And I mean, it was, uh, my heart is actually beating just even thinking about back in that space of how violent that was. And, um, I didn't know, I didn't know how to be a man. I was just a monster and now I'm both. And I understand how to control that darkness in me now, but he went to sleep for such a long time over these past two years because I had healed and I had made it. And financially I no longer had a need for him. And I was so blessed to have bought myself the luxury of being able to take the time to heal from the life that I created because of the finances that I created for myself. And so as I healed, he just kind of went to sleep for a long time. It's been that way now. So learning how to wake him back up has been challenging. And we'll get into this, but recently I have woken him back up. And it's very interesting to feel, it's almost like we all have the man and the monster 
and when you can balance them both it's like they become opposite edge edges of a double-edged sword that you learn how to wield and that's kind of the space that i feel like i'm in right now how would you define when you say man and monster and you paint them as polarities Mm -hmm. how would you define the man i think what comes up for me is that my my default state was alpha Mm -hmm. quote unquote Right. My default state was aggression, yell, you know, put people down. That was how you get it done, right? Fucking do it. Don't be a pussy. Get this shit done. And I think that when that's all you know how to do, you be you're like, it's not it's not impressive. Yep. If all you know how to do is yell, I'm not impressed. But when you can learn to develop that that depth and the mask really that masculine core of security, stability, and structure, empathy kindness compassion when you can learn how to balance both of those and you have that massive range to be able to go from one to the other that's when i think you're extremely dangerous so is the man sounds like you're referencing like the grounded Mm -hmm. integrated masculine yes and yeah i would say that would that make the monster the toxic masculine I think the monster is different for everyone. I think for me. Because for you, what you're referencing as the monster is like what your inner child became. It was what I needed to become to survive. Yeah. So it's almost like you're referencing like uh, you're referencing your shadow. Yeah. It's not necessarily an aspect of masculinity. No, this is you're just referencing tapping into the parts of ourselves that normally we we put in the basement and mm-hmm. it's lock that, in there and throw away the key it's that killer instinct the one yeah. the one that everybody has but everybody wants to pretend they don't and when they see it in you they want to throw stones at it the animal the animal the animal the animal and you know to beat a monster you have to become a monster and that was it was just a very it was a very hard decade as an entrepreneur and you know i'm i'm extremely proud of the man i am today yeah and some something interesting i I would love your your take on this actually so something interesting i don't know if you saw my reel a couple weeks ago i talked about just my struggles with masculinity growing up without a father yeah and somebody from my child childhood commented on that post and she said hey i remember you as that kid and and you were still such an incredible friend you should be proud of who you are today your mother raised you to be a king wow and it didn't sit right with me oh and because it wasn't true my mom love her my mom didn't raise me to be a king i see what you're saying and I sat with that comment. I said, do I engage or do I not? And I said, no, I obviously engaged. And I said, you know, <laughs> what, what came up for me is that, well, at, at what point in time do we stop giving credit to people from our past for the way that we are? Mm. At what point in time am I willing to take ownership for who I am? For me to just accept somebody saying my mom raised me to be a king bypasses those 10 years that I went through where I was consumed by a monster and fought my way out. I give all that away. And the flip side of that is true as well. I I can't give credit to who I am to my mother and my parents anymore. I'm past that. 
And the opposite end is true of people who don't make anything of themselves. They say, well, my mom never loved me, or my dad does this, or my parents treated me this way. At some point in time, enough time has passed where you can no longer give credit to those people for why you are the way that you are. Has that ever come up for you or that ever? Nope. Mm -mm. no it's worth it's worth thinking about yeah what you're describing is extremely common Mm -hmm. um i also think some of that feels like small town energy yeah like uh that notion of like traditionalism and like not talking about uncomfortable truthful things because it's like that's your family Mm -hmm. or whatever it may be And, and a lot of those I also feel like it's small town energy to just be like, oh, your parents did a great job. Like Mm -hmm. when in reality, like what you can thank them for is your insatiable hunger. I would not, I wouldn't be the man I am proud to be today without my mother. Thank you. But to say it's like they raised you and that's why it's like, okay. Um, No, I haven't had that happen to me. I think my, because your your backstory is more like intense than mine Mm. like uh, outside looking in it seemed like how are how could i relate to that how are we so similar like i had like more of like a middle class upbringing Mm. like never had to worry about like clothes or or food like i didn't grow up in a trailer park like none of that type of stuff but well i was fed I want to make that clear. I was fed. Yeah. I'm just, I guess I was just painting an archetype. Right. Um, but like for, you know, people listening to this, like also people have, mm. you know, we are, we're all raised in different ways. So from the outside looking in, it wasn't that aspect or that, uh, you know, they say trauma is subjective. Absolutely. So like your hunger is very obvious. Whereas mine is like, you know, you put a hundred people in the situation that I had growing up. I don't know how many of them come out of it with the hunger that I had because for whatever reason, my upbringing really bothered my soul. Mm. And so it brought something out that I don't think most people put in that environment would have stepped into by any means. Uh, They could have grew up in that environment and considered it actually maybe even cushy. but the way I interpreted it was full of deprivation and inauthenticity. Mm. So I don't know how much of that is stories I told myself and how much of it is reality because my sister didn't grow up to have this. She debatably got it worse than I did. She was the older sister. I learned from her. I was the sneaky one. So mm. it's interesting to think about these things, the but stories, where I was going with that yeah, and, then yeah, go ahead. and then I'll transition is like, you asked if I've ever experienced what you brought up of like other people trying to tell me like, thank your parents. And I think, I think people in my, in my vicinity of either they knew me growing up like young or like family, friends or relatives, I think they're just utterly shocked. I've never had anyone try to take credit. Mm -hmm. I think it's more of like, 
disbelief. Right. Uh, not in the sense that, you know, I'm not trying to. Yeah, just profound. Not in the sense that I'm anything grandiose or anything, but more in the sense of. Uh, I'll give that to you, though. Of why, like how. Because mm-hmm. in a sense, your story is more to someone like me. That's more obvious. Mm-hmm. Because if you put me in that situation, there's only one outcome. <laughs> I'm gonna make every motherfucker pay like a, an endless chip on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Whereas mine was more like, why do you have such a chip on your shoulder? You get mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Because there wasn't See, a trailer park. So, I wasn't picked on like but that. But it's so it interesting you say that because you're saying your story, and to me, I'm like, yeah, I, I would probably do the same thing. Right. But that's it's, where I think yeah. we're going with it. Is like, what is that? Yeah. Is that like? Mm. Is like. Does it even matter what family we were born it's into? That dog. <laughs> Does it even matter what family we were born into? Would I, would I create these stories anyway? Mm, wow, wow. Would that's I interpret profound. my upbringing that way anyway? Or you did put we me, have to? I grew up as a trust fund baby, and instead my angle is fuck this. Everyone thinks I'm not going to become something. Right. Everything's handed to me. My parents don't even love me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to do it myself. So it's. It's interesting, man. Well, then I guess the question that could potentially be up to debate from that is, does everybody have that or not? And that's where, that's one of the things I noted down that I wanted to talk about is this question of, do you think at this point in time, and obviously we're always changing, uh, even some of our past episodes, you know, which is the cool thing about putting out content is like, I'm like. I don't really resonate with that anymore. I'm in a different place. Dude, I wrote about that in my book. Amazing. And it's just something you accept. But Mm -hmm. for where you're at right now, do you think, do you feel you can teach hunger? Mm. Mm, That's a good question. I want to say no. I think it's not about teaching hunger. I think it's about putting a meal in front of somebody that makes them hungry. Because the right meal for the right person, there's always going to be, right? You get that that certain smell. And no matter where you are, you walk past and you smell a burger, you go, ooh. And there's that little thing in your system. Yeah. I think everybody has the hunger or a hunger. Yeah. It just depends on on what they're smelling or what they're seeing that that spikes that hunger. But as far as that, the depthful hunger that turns on that, the insatiable kind the animal the animal killer instinct i want to say yes but i don't think that you can teach that here's my follow-up for that when you talk about putting the right plate in front of them Mm -hmm. is the right plate putting something in front of them that gets them further away from pain or closer to pleasure well i think that's that's a really good question because as human beings we are naturally creatures of pleasure Right, we will avoid pain at any cost, and we will also run towards pleasure in in the moment at the expense of future pain. I want to repeat that: we'll run at pleasure short term at the expense of future pain, mm-hmm. but we will not run at pain in the short term for future pleasure, unless you're one of the hashtag few. Well, it's it's kind of like this concept where everybody wants to be strong. Everybody wants to be this, and not everybody, I shouldn't say that and generalize. Most people, especially in our space or the entrepreneurs that I work with to build their business, 
they want to be this powerful established coach or business owner or an entrepreneur so they want to be strong but but they don't want to struggle and those two go hand, <laughs> the, those two go hand in hand you know when you it's like what? this it's like this concept of of harder versus worse that i've noticed where people think that harder people confuse harder for worse and yeah. when, when when you know when you know something or when you feel like something's getting worse or it's not going your way you back off you you become a victim why me this sucks it's not getting any better everything i do just gets worse and worse versus if you if you understand oh this is getting harder before it gets easier well now there's a call to action inside of that if you go into the gym and you want to hit a squat pr and you put the new weight on the bar and you're looking at it you're not sitting there saying this is going to get worse you're sitting there saying this is going to be harder than any set i've done before you put on music you hype yourself up you do some breathing you get yourself in a new state to challenge that harder situation and when you get and stand up from that squat boom you just broke into a new level of strength a new level of confidence a new level of competency yep. around what your abilities actually are they're the same thing it's just people's interpretation of them so the harder is struggle the worse is an excuse to not do anything so when you want to get strong you don't go into the gym and lift light weights right you struggle in the gym because that's how you get stronger. So it's like this entrepreneur muscle. People feel like it's just supposed to show up and be there without ever having to exercise it. What comes to mind when you talk about that is this notion that people pray for strength every night. They pray for strength mm -hmm. and then God gives them adversity and they complain. And they're mad at God. And then they pray for no more adversity but they literally asked for strength, <laughs> but it was delivered in adversity, which is an opportunity to develop strength. You know, I've, I'm glad, I'm so glad you brought that up because I've, I've had this interesting conversation in my head recently about my relationship with God and how much finding him has literally changed my life. I watched it happen. Yeah. And saved my life and changed my life and it's just this it's such a humbling experience to feel god moving through you and not really being attached to what you're producing because you you really get to the space where you realize man it's not even me nope you know i it's just like the words come through on whether that be verbal or on written and you're just like wow where did that even come from even the entire business yeah and so every day giving praise to god but then it's really interesting and and I, I showed you this when i had my rise event and the the troll guy was posting about it and we had yeah. hundreds and hundreds mm -hmm. of hate comments and stuff yeah. people were calling me a scam artist and like yeah. i get that all the time it's crazy I, I how get, dare you evolve how dare you help people process trauma and i think it was more of a how dare you evolve well that wouldn't have happened to you if you weren't coming from so the, fitness the thing industry. the thing that gets me is when people see you evolving and moving through God, they have no choice but to hate it because they don't understand it. Well, and you're threatening their they're, you're threatening their world. Well, they have a they have a toxic relationship with God. They ask God for strength, He gives them struggle, and they go, "God, what the fuck?" Yeah, I ask God for strength, He gives me struggle, and I say, "I understand the assignment." And when I go through that, and now those people see God moving through me, they get pissed off because their relationship's faulty. And so, in order to see somebody with a better relationship with him having things happen they can't accept oh i just need to surrender to god no, no 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 everything needs to go my way in order for me to be happy and it's just it's such an interesting 
it's such an interesting thing to observe because I've been on both sides of it. Yeah. I've been the monster seeing people successful going, fuck them, must be nice. You got lucky. You're a right. scam. Oh, somebody's making more money than me? You're a scam artist. You're not good. Mm-hmm. And now being on the other side where it's happening to me, and I, and like it's very interesting to see both sides. And the only thing that was missing for me was understanding what a relationship with God felt like mm. and how powerful that was when it moved through you. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about that in our last podcast. So we won't go into that whole story of like you having your kind of breakdown. I think it was like in the desert, Sedona or something, Joshua tree, Joshua tree, Tree, and then all that. But I think this is a perfect time to, we wanted to touch on like, we should walk people through a little bit our, where we were both at when we met, Mm -hmm. how our paths separated, totally went like this. And then we, and then we came back and mm-hmm. um and I'll, now we have a closer relationship than we did you know i'll start i'll start industry. this story so yeah. what, what was this circa 2015 2014 right around there 2014 2015 yeah i am i am i think i still owned my gym at that time Probably. i still had the gym and i was youtubing I would come down and train with Lexi. Oh, you definitely had the gym. I was thinking it may have even been pre-gym. Oh, wow. But it was at least, yeah, you did the gym for, yeah, you were still doing that. Yeah. For sure. So Jeremy slides into my DMs on Instagram, right? I think it was mm-hmm. Instagram. Yep. And he's just like, hey, man, I've been watching your content. really like what you're about. Would love to get a lift in. And for me at that point in time, that was just very unusual for me to get. I didn't understand anything. And I'm thinking I'm hot shit because I got followers, Mm -hmm. (laughs) followers. And I'm like, well, that's fucking weird, but I'm going to do it. And there's a vlog, there's a vlog somewhere on YouTube (laughs) of me in my car. I might have my editing team pull that up right now you have to. and they'll overlay it yeah um, me in the car saying I, I, i'm gonna guys get if you can if you can find that clip and uh put a little put a little snippet on the screen for people <laughs> to watch this clip he's like vlogging almost trolling me because he's never met me before like this i might be meeting up with jeffrey dahmer right now you <laughs> <laughs> might be here to kill me and then like i pull up in the car and he's like oh shit there he is <laughs> yeah we ended up getting a lift and and uh fostered what is now an incredible relationship but and you were driving like a shitty civic yep my honda civic baby and he's vlogging and he had like i think a thousand subs and i was like i thought that this was like you know i was like wow he's like crushing it like he's doing what i want to be doing he's got like a thousand people watching him on youtube type thing you know what i actually want to pause with that real quick yeah just because i know there's a lot of entrepreneurs who maybe only have a thousand subs yeah and think that they're shit and that perspective of there's always somebody always somebody watching you who's inspired by you no matter what level you're at and so you have to realize that that energy you're bringing if you're upset with where you where you're at or you're hating yourself like there are people literally watching you right now that are so fucking inspired for you getting after it and you owe it to them to just keep going so i just wanted a thousand people in a room would have most people i'd be a billionaire dumbstruck you know what i mean yeah that's how you have to think of it like mm-hmm. oh i only have three thousand followers it's like yeah you have three thousand people most people who are need, interested in what you're saying most people need 200 paying clients to change their life forever literally i want people to think about that you're charging 300 a month 
for something and you have 200 people, it's $120,000 a month. What are you worried about your followers for? What are you worried about getting 100K for? You need 200 people with you for life and you're set. I think that's 60. 200 people paying you oh, 300 yeah, bucks is. a month. Well, so, you know, I'm not good at math. 60K a month though. That's, that's life changing. That's, life changing. Life that's more changing than like wealth. lawyers, accountants. 100%. Like. So, yeah. So you're in your shitty civic vlogging and I pull up in a $2,000 Nissan <laughs> Altima with the <laughs> fucked transmission. Was and it red? I don't know why I remember red. It might not have uh, been red. It was oh, green. My girlfriend's car my, was red back yeah, then. Yeah, my mom bought me that car like fronted it to me because that's how broke i was yeah living with my mom etc so we pull up we uh work out we're not going to say where but uh we meet up in san diego we have a workout and um it's just first impression i'm like this dude's like goofy and it, within 10 minutes he's like tells me how he's on steroids and xyz <laughs> and i'm just like oh, okay cool like because my notion at that time is like, oh, people like hide it and they lie to you. So they I was like, do. oh, that's cool. Like, like I respected that. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got a good lift in. And then and I think we both realized like, oh, they're kind of cool. Like we don't, mm -hmm. he's not weird. Um, and so we just, we just kind of like built the relationship from there. But I remember like talking about like, you know, what I was doing and I was in the very early stages of like, you know, I'm, I'm. I have like online coaching clients. I'm trying to build this like full time. And that wasn't even on your radar at that time. Yeah, you I was were still, just like, I was yeah, still I'm just, the gym. I'm, I was still I personal a gym and I, I'm doing this vlog thing. I th at that time, I think you thought that that was like the thing you were going to do, like vlogging and thing. Built, blowing up YouTube and all that. So regardless, like that was, yeah, like 2014, 2015. And then that's so crazy. So that was our meeting, right? And we were both like very young, naive, but hungry. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, if you're you were willing to run like steroids that young, I was like, running a lot of steroids. You're, you were hungry. Like mm -hmm. you were willing to do what it takes. Mm -hmm. On my side, like I wasn't doing that, but the same mentality, like outside of that, I'll do just about anything that yep. it takes. So we kind of, you know, we're building, we're both in the fitness industry, et cetera. And after a few years, eventually, this is now 2017. That's when I like, I let all my clients go. I, I, I essentially closed the fitness business. Mm -hmm. I let people know once their like packages is done, like we're not renewing. And I'm, I start going through a deeper spiritual awakening because up until that point I had I had liked these concepts and the notions and I wanted to be that, but mm -hmm. I wasn't that at all. And then, you know, I start reading like, you know, Eckhart Tolle and Joe Dispenza and I have my first actual experiential experiences. And then it's just like, you just have to kind of cancel your life. Cause you're like, Oh, I've been, <laughs> I've been playing the entirely wrong game. Yep. Like all of that is fake mm -hmm. and you have two choices, like suffer immensely or change. So I just like cancel my life and just like flip shit upside down. And long story short, like I think that was the beginning of like we started to um, not that we were like super close back then, but we started to drift apart. Yeah, because at that time I start going deep into my spiritual awakening mm -hmm. and, at tw and during 2017, like and then so 2017, 2018, 2019, I 
it gets progressively more for myself. I start going on this like spiritual path. Cause so like 2017 was like, it's my second like dark night. And then I, I find Joe Dispenza. I find, um, David R Hawkins. And between those two, their work completely transformed my personal reality. And then I integrated it into a business offering. Mm -hmm. So this became every aspect of my life. It was not just, this is what I wake up and do. It was, this is uh, how I dress myself. This is how I present myself. This is how, these are the words that I use. These are the friends that I have. And this is the work that I'm doing with clients is how I make a living. It became everything. Mm -hmm. So that was my 2017, 2018, 2019. And then what was your 2017, 2018, 2019 like? So this is, we're painting this picture because this is where we were like, had drifted apart because we were in different seasons. So mine was the opposite. Yeah. Right. And this is where I was, this is where the monster was at his strongest. He was the most monster. He was the most fed and the most unsatiable and the most out of control he ever was. I was in a super toxic relationship. One of a few in those year spans and yeah i was i had closed down my gym i went online coaching full time and had that dog again everybody was telling me like you're fuck why would you close this gym like you're successful you're young you're successful you've got all these coaches renting out space you've got clients what are you doing why would you leave ramona <laughs> why would you leave the small town because i fucking hate it here what and- a funny question if you've ever been to Ramona. <laughs> why would you leave? I don't know. Because it's nothing. It's like asking Eminem, like, why would you leave the trailer? <laughs> why wouldn't park? you just stay, bro? <laughs> and not to shit on Ramona. I still, no, I I'm still just joking. It, but, but for also, me, for me, I just, I mean, I was at that gym, and no matter how far I looked in the future, I still saw myself at the gym, and I was like, fuck that. And um, I, I moved downtown and or by the stadium not necessarily downtown but my income went down 70 percent. my living expenses doubled like that and i said all right i got two months to make it work in my bank account or i'm gonna be fucking yeah, homeless. i remember you talking about yep. that a year went by and i hadn't made enough money to buy a ho- buy a house so i bought the first house i'd ever lived in and at the time was prepping for a bodybuilding show doing the most steroids i've ever done in my entire life was barely eating was running 70 minutes of cardio a day was injecting six needles into my body every single day barely sleeping running a business moving houses i mean it was just it was just everything and i was just it was nuts and i was the furthest thing from spiritual yeah at all so this is this is towards the tail end or like i would say like the peak of when you're being driven by your darkness but had no awareness of such Mm, no i think the peak was houston Okay, so this is the buildup. Yeah, this is the buildup of sure. that. What we're talking about, which we'll we'll eventually get to a, a what I could say is like a, a healthier space with this conversation because I think I can imagine. It's, I think it's important to talk about the parts of the journey that nobody talks about. Yeah, yeah, because that's what I'm saying. But I can imagine it's like triggering for certain people. Like, oh, this stuff isn't healthy. Like, blah blah. But it's like, yeah, maybe. But it's it's real, and it it's real. It's what gets you to a healthy place. It was my journey to get to a healthy place. Yeah. I think pain, there's not a better teacher than pain, though. Pain's probably arguably one of the only teachers. So, okay, continue. So you're you're in the build-up phase of just steroids, working a shitload, abusing your body, yeah, was, trying to achieve. Yep. And I was just fully 
I, I thought I was the fucking shit. I just, I talked down to every person around me. I, I just thought I, I ran the world and in my way I did. Nobody could tell me anything. I had all the money. I had all the success. I had the physique I had. I mean, I was just like, what the fuck are you going to say to me? Right. And I didn't care about anybody but myself. Yeah. I didn't care who, again, who was in front of me or who needed help. I'm not wasting my time on you. I was a monster. Yeah. I was. And, you know, fast forward, everybody's heard this story. Houston, big house, supercar, millions of dollars. Um, just the most dark I've ever been. Toxic relationship. She was cheating on me. I was cheating on her. And it just, it all exploded. And that's where we got to where I like almost killed myself and then found yep. God. And then, so that was your real like dark night. That was where when- you finally had it's like it's that defining moment where you go like the veil opens mm-hmm. you're in such pain that something opens and you can just see clearly for the first time that you've created all of this it was almost, and that in that same sense that you've created all of this you can do something about it it was almost like this you know when you've been underwater for almost too long and then mm-hmm. like you're swimming and you're swimming and you maybe dove a little bit deeper than you thought in the pool. Yeah. And right when you get to the top, it's like this massive, <gasps> just real quick. Yeah. It felt like that. And then I went right back under. Mm. So it just felt like I got that gra- that gasp of air to realize, oh, if I keep fighting up, there is actually a way out of this. And that was when everything shifted. And I thought, okay, I need to figure out how to, how to fully exit this darkness because I never thought that I could. Mm. I just, I just thought that that was who I was. So you weren't like your journey hasn't been like running from it, trying to get it to go away. You're, you, I just you thought, thought that that's who you were. I didn't understand there was a separation. I thought it was, oh. I thought it was, I thought the you darkness just thought was that me. that's life. I thought I was a monster. So you're Bane. <laughs> I thought I was, yeah. I just thought I was a monster. Okay. And because I was. Yeah. And it was like this. <gasps> and I was like what the fuck was that but then you went straight back uh, it pulled me right back in it was to, so powerful is that a reference to like your behaviors no it was just kind of like it was when i had that gun to my head right and i heard someone go hey and i turned around and no one was there and for that split second i was like what the fuck and then it was just right back into all the negative emotions okay. but it, it shook me enough to go put the gun away and go back to bed and that was when, and as I was driving to to San Diego from Houston, it's a it's a long drive. U-Hauls don't have radios, right? It's just so it's just me, and I just sat with that demon the whole time. And that was the first time that I had realized that the demon I was struggling to battle was actually me. Yeah, it wasn't outside of you. No, I'm like it's your own psyche. Yeah, this is me. Yeah, why am I afraid of me? Mm-hmm. Like if anybody can, you know, if anybody can talk to this guy, it's gonna, it's gonna be me. Mm-hmm. And there's like this, there was this panic. I think people confuse panic and fear. They're not the same thing. Fear is an instinct. Mm. Panic, you do a lot of dumb shit. And when something's pitch, when it's, something's instantly pitch black, everybody freaks the fuck out. That's panic. Fear, you sit down, you let your eyes adjust, you figure out where you're, whether you're gonna fight or flight. Right. That's fear. And I, I never allowed myself to be in my darkness long enough to experience fear and figure out what direction I needed to go to get through it. 
Mm. I would just panic and run. Thing about your shadow is that it's attached to you no matter where you go. Mm -hmm. So I was just, it was just a constant panic and then a constant judgment of being a monster. And it just kept, it just kept swallowing itself over and over and over again. And I just, I didn't have a way out until I did. Yeah. And then uh, to, to wrap that up, then you kind of plunged into, so that was 2017, 2018, 2019. And, and going into 2020 and 2021. Okay. So that was, but I remember there was a, around Houston is like when we, Mm -hmm. when we reconnected. Well, I started getting spiritual in Houston because you started to, but obviously like you weren't embodied. Like I didn't no, know about I everything else going on. I was taking fucking shrooms and was like, I understand life right. now. Right. But so, that, that's the early stages where it's more of like an egoic thing. The ego's like, oh, I'm spiritual yeah. now. Um, but yeah, so we had started to be more, more on the same page. And then, and so that was why, like we were just in different places. It was like, um, I just observed from afar and, you know, we were on our own fucking journeys Mm -hmm. and um eventually you got to a point where you had had enough suffering and you started to change things and then that was when we we started to like get close again i think there was a post i made right and then you responded to that post and you were like we need to like let's reconnect and then we ended up doing a podcast Mm. I think that was it. Um, but it wasn't until you after Houston, then you like plunged into what did you do? Like a year? Mm-hmm. You just put in like a year of in typical Nick fashion, right? Like all in. All in, like let's get it over with. And I, you just did like <laughs> everything. <laughs> I'm a, I'm all I'm, the healing modalities. I'm such a warrior archetype, you yeah. know, and I think it is from that the childhood of like, I need to do this and do it to the fullest capacity. Mm -hmm. And once I realized, oh, there's these tools that you can use to to help you have more awareness. And like, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't like, let me do all these spiritual things to be woke. It was like, that gave me some insight I have never seen before. I need to do it again. Yeah. I need to do it again. I need to do it again. And it got to this point where I, I, I started to use it as a crutch. Yeah. I started to use it as like, oh, I can't Which figure is exactly this out. exactly what happens. Yeah. I can't figure this out. Let me go take shrooms. Exactly. I can't do this out. Let me go do uh, Bufo. Let me, you know, and right. I just, I started doing all of these things and it helped tremendously, yep. but I also gave my power to the medicine. Yep. And I, I still was in a position where I couldn't think for myself as a man. Yeah. I only knew how to think for myself as a monster. So when it came time for me, oh, I'm a man again. And I felt the monster creeping back up. I was like, oh shit, I got to go run and get some medicine to like put the monster back to bed. Mm. And so that was my, that was my next prison that I put myself in. All I knew my whole life was how to be in prison. So the prison just kept changing. Yeah. That's where I was comfortable. Mm. And so you spent so many years being driven by this unconscious I would just say darkness. Darkness. Yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. But it was unconscious in the sense of like, it's not like you were like Kobe where you're like intentionally yeah, I couldn't harnessing that. Couldn't control it. It's just like you just thought that that's who you were. Mm-hmm. And then you, the pendulum swings and you're like oh, yeah. super for a year, you're like super feminine, right? Like ego deaths and 
doing all the practices and not really like working as much mm-hmm. and doing like medicine to, after medicine. And, and then it's a different type of life lessons you learn in those kinds of seasons, because now your problem isn't darkness anymore in a certain sense. It's, or I should say your problems aren't all the things that come with a life of darkness. Your problems become like, now you're trying to, now your ego wants to come in in a very sneaky way and it wants to attach to anything that you're doing, whether Mm -hmm. that be a specific medicine or at a more zoomed out level, I am this type of person now. And then fast forwarding to to more of like present day and and where, you know, we talk about off camera, like where we're kind of both at like reentering a season of, or like at the early stages of a season of is like realizing how many like distortions there are in that. Mm. And there's, there's like so many, I guess I would say like pitfalls, like, and it, it was, longer for me than than you like you went gung-ho for like a year and then i think you've experienced like it can be difficult to like come to like more balance or what we could say is integration because i don't know that balance really exists but more of integration of okay there's some real value there to bring with you yeah but not everything I think that's yeah, and bring with, and bring with is powerful. and there was real value in your past mm-hmm. to bring with you, but not everything. Mm-hmm. And the way you get to the but not everything from your past is through the spiritual work. Mm-hmm. But then when you enter the season of the spiritual work, we kind of forget that it's usually best served as a season, and we try to kind of bring it all with us and. That's at least been my journey where the ego then attaches to, okay, this is who I am and this Mm -hmm. is how I am. And so I went from, in in my own unique way, you know, coming out of uh, teenage years into young adulthood, like toxic masculine, like you described, chip on my shoulder, Mm -hmm. uh, trying to prove the world wrong. I was um, driven by um, a combination of anger, rage, shame, and guilt. The perfect cocktail. And so it depends. The higher I'd prefer anger and rage. That was a, mm. a funner one, a, a more powerful one. Right. The flip side is like how I was raised through shame and guilt. Mm. So those were the, those were the states. And then you kind of and then you transition to all of the the healing work and, and you tap into like a whole different way of of living life and being motivated by different things and all of that but in that season you demonize the upbringing the the past the darkness the toxic masculine in our in our situation i remember you know how many years i was just like i can't believe i used to be like that Mm -hmm. and it's like that's the same thing like the spiritual ego is now judging that and then shame all over again and and in in the in the the initial season the unhealthy masculine before the pendulum swung to healing it was like prime achievement season mm-hmm. like i will outwork you out discipline you out consistency you 
because there's a chip on my shoulder. Yep. And it's synonymous with like survival. And there's pros and cons to that. But then you get to, I get to a point where it's like, I'm just tired of it. I'm tired of the pressure. I'm tired of like not liking myself. I'm tired Mm -hmm. of like life feeling like empty. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of not feeling fulfilled. I'm tired of like, mainly it's like the emotional aspects that come with that. Like you can achieve some crazy shit, but like emotionally it sucked. So I pivot and I start healing and doing all that. And then in the healing that season, we'll call it five, six years for me where I'm really wearing the, you know, really putting on those masks now, Mm -hmm. which are, it's interesting to realize that those are masks too, where I'm like, okay, well, I want to be accepted by this community now. So I'm going to wear these beads and I'm going to do these practices and I'm going to use this language. And in that season, the emotions, you feel so much better about yourself. You are like, oh, this is what it feels like to love yourself. Mm -hmm. Wow. I never even felt, got this from my parents, let alone myself. This is, is this, this is what God feels like. Like Mm -hmm. you're able to, you know, transcend duality. You're able to encounter God. You're able to do all these beautiful things. And it's so positive emotionally, not all of it, but you know, those aspects are so positive emotionally that you get then you attach to that. Mm-hmm. And when you're only the animal, your emotional life is fucked. Yep. And when you're only the beer, right? Demonizing, doing all hyper feminine, like w- w- the pendulum swing I'm describing when I go into that second season, I'm like bypassing my humanity. Mm-hmm. And I've, the, and I put it. that darkness in the, in the basement. And I'm not giving that any love either, but that's a part of me. And so I re- now I'm like, damn it. I just spent six years thinking this was the path. I have to turn around again. And then eventually it comes to a more, I'll say, balanced place. I don't believe in balance in life, just personally. But I will say like what I'm speaking to is this notion of harmony, this notion of integration mm-hmm. where you spend time in this season, you spend time in the season and you see how, oh, both of them are like distortions. Like when I'm in this season, I view this season as, as like, how, pff, yep. like I scoff at it. And then when I'm in this season, I view this as like beta. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it's like both seasons, like neither is right or wrong. Like take the value from them and move on to the next season. Yeah, and integrate. And so like now where we're going to with like more present day conversation, uh, I uh, apologize for the the lengthy walkthrough there, but I think a lot of you guys can probably relate. A lot of my audience is in season two. Mm. Your audience might be more in season one transitioning to season two. Mm -hmm. So like it's helpful of like. Like this is real shit. It's time it comes full circle and now it's like, okay, this is where, you know, me and Nick were having, we, we got in a workout before this and we were kind of having conversations around this type of thing where it's like, now it's just now. And for me, I'd say it's the last year. I don't know how long it's been for you, but it still feels like fresh of like, really it's been like since moving here. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah, less than that. Maybe it's been like nine months. Um, feeling like, okay, 
I feel like more of an alpha than I've ever felt. Mm-hmm. And I can solely attribute that to I reached a place in the last year where I just realized, I guess, through spiritual consistency or evolution or maturity, I don't know what you call it, but what, what I'm describing of like spent time here, spent time here, and then coming full circle to the middle mm-hmm. of like, let's take this thing out of the basement. Let's bring it front and center. And let's not put it above or below me and Lotus position telling you that there is no difference between me and you and existing in unconditional love. Let's sit them right next to each other and harness both energies in my daily life. Yep. And that's been new for me. Me too. And it's also very interesting because I don't really see like I haven't had like a role model for this. Mm-hmm. So like I, I, you have like people like Tate who are very much a role model for the, the dog, mm-hmm. the masculine and a lot of hyper feminine men, myself included a few years ago need that. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you have most of the spiritual community, which is like, a little too far on the feminine, in my opinion. I and maybe that was planetary. I'm not, I'm with you. You know, I'm not versed in astrology. I think that's what that was. We were in a certain thing. I don't know. There's also culture shifts. You know, we were in two decades of feminism. Now we're kind of pivoting out hard to a more about. So I don't, it's fascinating to think about those aspects. I don't know why, but it's this new thing. And I'm about to be done. And then I'll, you know, would love to hear where you're at with everything I'm leading us up to. But like, it's been, it's been a fucking journey because it's like, so I was this thing that I didn't like. And I completely, as I started to heal, I changed and I started, then you start to receive like uh, validation and reinforcement in a different way. And so you're like, oh, this is how I'm going to get love now. And so then I become the the hippie and, and that, and my whole, I live in this eco bubble, my whole news feed, all my friends, my, little spiritual influencers, whatever, like now I'm in that group think eco chamber and I make make myself that. And then to pivot out of it, I have to be now comfortable with being judged and excommunicated from that tribe. The same thing that was the scariest part about transitioning from what I was used to, to becoming more of a spiritual person. And then it's like, you realize that none of this is it. Like it's all temporary. It's all a season. And I don't see many people really talking about this right now. We have like, like I said, we have the hyper-masculine voices out there who are role models to so many, right? There's a reason David Goggins is so popular. There's a reason Alex Hormozzi is so popular. There's a reason Andrew Tate is the most Googled man in the world. And there's also a reason why Ram Dass is who he is and his legacy lives on. And there's also a reason why spirituality has become so popular and an aspect of almost American culture at this mm-hmm. point, like a whole renaissance of awakening that we haven't seen since the 60s. Mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily psychedelic uh, 
created like it was in the 60s. It okay. seems more organically we're waking up because of where we're at in terms of um, demographics and, and our generation becoming aware of things. Mm-hmm. Would love to hear you know what's what's coming up for you when i when i talk about this stuff whether it be your own journey or things yeah. you're seeing in culture or whatever well, it may be i fully fully resonate with everything that you're saying it's been it's new for me it's very new for me going from the darkness of the opposition to the immense feminine spirituality healing grounded no need for violence, man, um, archetype. And what's interesting for me that I observed actually very recently, um, like two months ago, when I was in the monster, I didn't have any depthful relationships, none when I was super hyper flung into the spirituality side, same thing. Mm. And I had, I think that I had just naturally reclused myself and closed myself off. And I had a really hard time with, it's like I knew the monster was still in there and I hadn't fully integrated him yet. So the thought of having any sort of like depthful, intimate connections with people scared me because I didn't want them to see him. And I spoke on John Maxwell's stage in August. It's one of the most full circle moments of my life and got off stage and just massive achievement for me. And I'm at that, at that event, I'm an A-list celebrity after everyone's coming up, taking pictures, we're talking and two and a half hours went by and I realized, oh, I didn't have anybody to call. Mm. Nobody had checked in. There wasn't a thought in my mind to get off that stage and call someone and say, I just did it. I crushed it. Nothing. And I just went, holy shit. What am I, what am I building? Yeah. What is this all for? What is this all for? I got nobody to share any of this with. And, you know, I'd recently been through a breakup and stuff. So that was one thing, but it was a massive additional awakening on inside of it of here I am getting off of a stage in front of 3000 people yeah. and instantly turned into another dark night of the soul. Yeah. And I went, okay, what am I missing here? Right. Why am I having such a hard time with depth still? Mm. I'm fucking deep, bro. I've been healing. I'm spiritual. I'm woke. I'm fuck. I've been meditating every morning for an hour for the last year, praying, manifesting for these opportunities to come here. Right. Manifesting relationships. And what I didn't realize was that they were all coming to me, but I wasn't fucking doing anything about it. Mm. I was just sitting, I just was so overly spiritual that there was no action behind anything. And so the opportunities kept coming and I wouldn't work on them and they would just move past and move past and move past. And now that I'm in this phase where I'm welcoming my darkness back, when he woke back up and I felt him, I went, okay, let's 
let's do this. And let's actually make something happen instead of just, I, I don't even know what I'm trying to say here right now. I'm getting but, like da- a download pretty strong as you're talking is like, when we can tap in and accept our darkness, it can allow us to connect through imperfection. Mm. Whereas often when we are in the spiritual space and we perceive ourselves as a spiritual identity, it almost always comes with this spiritual perfectionism thing Mm. of like, I can't let you see. I actually like shit and just got in a fight with my girlfriend and I'm a normal person. Yes. And so it's like, there's that aspect of like, I'm spiritual, you're spiritual. Like I'm going through some shit. Like I can't admit that because I'm spiritual. I find that shallow and pedantic versus like, like, no, I have when you embrace this darkness aspect of you, it's like you become intimately familiar with it and you, Mm. you give yourself permission essentially to be imperfect because that is the, what you're channeling. You just gave me my thought back. So I appreciate that. What's going on, guys? We just wanted to take a really quick break from the show to thank you guys for all of the continued support and let you know that we are really prioritizing growing this podcast in both audio and video format. And on that note, we are wanting to connect with you guys on YouTube. So if you have been following along to our podcast on whatever audio streaming service that may be, we want to make sure that we're also connected on YouTube as we are putting out exclusive video only content on YouTube. And we're also going to be doing some giveaways in the near future. So we want to make sure we're connected on there for those of you who would like to be. And you can find us at youtube.com slash J Griff official, all one word, no special characters. All right. Thank you guys so much for the continued support. We could not do this without you. Now let's get back to the show. Yeah, it was when I let the darkness back out and I decided you're fucking insane and I love you. Right. You're so dangerous and I trust you. Right. You're so chaotic and I'm at peace with you. Yeah. That was when it all just kind of shifted and swirled together. And it's just such a different, it's new. Like you just said, it's such this new phase where I, I feel the man in me who's got all the compassion and the love and the open heart in the world. And I feel the monster inside of me that'll rip your fucking head off if you double cross me. And being able to just sit with both of those and yeah. not try to shove one or put one, just having them both, like you said, kind of coexist shoulder to shoulder. It's just new. And I'm so interested for my audience to hear this conversation. It's This is so good. <laughs> I just, I don't think I've ever heard anybody talk I'm about so this. I'm so interested. Um, but something. It's not all, this is a paradox. It's not all love and light. No. Yet it is. Mm. (laughs) Oh my God. That's good. Cause that's what we're describing. Like we said, it's like funny. Cause it's funny. Like you'll, you guys will understand probably grinning behind the screen right now, but that's a real thing. People say love and light brother, love and light. Or like they'll end with saying love and light. And it's like, what are we really doing here? (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's by it's like you said, spiritual bypassing. 
It's people, people. We want that love and light, but we don't recognize that the Nick from the trailer park who will rip your fucking face off is love and light also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's our, it is that journey mm-hmm. to actually like, cool, that sounds great for a sound bite of like, oh, Jeremy's so enlightened to say that. No, but ex- it, experientially, yeah, you have to get there of like the most fucked up parts about you mm-hmm. are still God experiencing itself. Well, okay. And hang on. that is the integration. So let's go unconditional love then. Okay. Unconditional love cannot exist without conditions that you have to learn to love yourself through. Mm. So you have to go through a period of fucking hating yourself. And then you have to learn to love that part of yourself that you hate. Yeah. That's unconditional love. Mm-hmm. And unconditional love can't exist without darkness. Mm-hmm. It can't exist without hurting people. It can't exist without betraying people or being betrayed. Can you look at the person in your mind's eye who hurts you the absolute most and say, I forgive you. Right. But I don't forget. Right? Like you hurt me. That 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 it's no longer a wound, it's a scar. There's a massive difference. People people don't want to heal because they think that it invalidates what happened to them. And so they they walk around with these wounds showing everybody. Hey, oh, this is what happened mm-hmm. to me. Oh, hey, this person hurt me or hey, this is why I'm not financially understand this is why I can't take action. It's like, no, dude, a wound is, yeah, a wound is testimony that you've been hurt. I understand. But a scar is testimony that you've been healed and you can't heal without something to heal from. So -hmm. the wound is still there when the scar is there, but now you lead with that scar and now you're telling your story as a teacher instead of a victim. And that's what gives your story purpose to change the world. Mm. You know, it's interesting also is we wouldn't even have a word for unconditional love if we didn't exist in duality through our ego mm-hmm. right you wouldn't need a word for that it wouldn't well, make sense to have a word for that if love was all there is then love's all there would be well love is all there is we just can't we just struggle to perceive it do you know who uh Marian williamson is obviously you know, you know mm-hmm. is. so have you read her book uh return to love hmm. so it's really amazing book and in this book, she talks about the concept of love, God, and the ego, mm-hmm. and how, you know, I have this stance as well. God is unconditional love, and he created everything with unconditional love, which means anything that's not love is not real. It's an illusion. It's a fabrication of yep. the ego. Uh-huh. And like so a she, distortion. Yeah. So you talk about how if you're experiencing anything other than love, you're quite literally almost hallucinating in a way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so interesting how we are so committed to our hallucinations being the story that we choose to live <laughs> committed and, to our hallucinations that's very true yeah most people want sympathy more than they want success and that's all they they hallucinate into and i just i find it so fascinating that sitting back and embodying love right. seems like the hallucination now mm. can you go more into that yeah, I think when people can hear, so there's a lot of things. People can hear us talking on this podcast that, well, it's easy for you to say when you've got money or it's easy for you to not, you know. And when when it comes to the the concept of love being the hallucination now, it's like when you talk to somebody and you go, look, when you learn to love yourself, your life will change. When you learn to love yourself, everything starts to just kind of fall in place. Because one, when you actually love yourself, you make better decisions. 
when you love yourself, you actually push the needle forward for your life. And I, I always use this kind of concept of love versus fear and devotion versus discipline. So when you're, when you're afraid and you're fearful of your life, you need to be motivated to change it. When you're in love with someone, the first time you ever, when you and Jax first started dating, right? First month, you're just head over heels in love. I love you so much. I bought you flowers because it's Tuesday. You're devoted to enriching the love. You're devoted to making that love as highly amplified as possible. So when you learn to love yourself, by nature, you become devoted to amplifying your life for the better. You don't need discipline to love Jax. Right. You don't need discipline to be loyal to Jax. You're devoted to her. So why aren't people devoted to their lives? Because it doesn't seem real. Doesn't I don't even fall in love with myself. How can I fall in love with myself? Look at all I've done. See? So the love becomes the hallucination and the shame and the guilt becomes the reality. Mm. How could I love somebody? Look at what they did. How could I love myself? Look at what I did. Like you're you're backwards. You've convinced yourself that the hallucination is reality. Does that make sense? That makes sense. Yeah. That's something worth sitting with for sure. Mm. So one thing I want to, I want to circle back to, we were leading up to this and then we kind of pivoted off. Shocking. So we went pretty in depth into both of our backgrounds for, you know, the audience today. And we, I'd say a central theme has definitely been darkness and harnessing your shadow. How come some of us are able to use our pain and the sheer fear as an unlimited source of drive and intrinsic energy, whereas the majority of people use it as rationalization Mm -hmm. for why they are where they are and why they shouldn't try and what we could say in the internet community as cope Mm -hmm. (laughs) so just so i can orient myself you're basically asking we'll just use my my background for i'm saying both me and you got where we are today Mm -hmm. through fear yes we didn't get here through love right we got here through fear Mm -hmm. that was an excellent source of motivation for us got it but look where we are both now we both mentor hundreds of students and the number one thing that we're really both doing in our line of work is trying to get people tapped in to their unlimited source Mm -hmm. of drive and energy Mm -hmm. and most people just struggle to do that they have the same fear that drives me and you, but it cripples them. Mm-hmm. It freezes them. It has them stay in their job, go back to their job, stay in that relationship, go back to that relationship, stay in that friend group, go back to that friend group, stay in that city. I could give unlimited examples, right? Whereas with some of us, that fear translates into a totally different outcome. Mm-hmm. why do you think that is got it what do we do about that as leaders in the position that we're now in 
I think it's the biggest thing we're both up against. Yep. I'm bringing this up because this is what I was talking to you about on our story the other yeah, day. Yeah, no, I agree. And honestly, one of the biggest, I will say, frustrations for me as a coach in the situation that I'm in is when I work with individuals and I see it. I see what's there. It's like triggering. No, I see what they can be. Oh, okay. You're seeing the potential in I them. See not it. the not what's in front of you today. You're seeing what they no, could be. I see. I see what they Ooh. can do. I, I look. That's a blessing and a curse. It is, but it's one of my, it is one of my gifts from God. Yeah, I can I can look at somebody and I instantly know everything. I can see all depths of them. Yeah, I mean, dude, to the point. Not like I do therapy or anything, but to the point. I've gotten on calls with people in two minutes, and they've said this. I'm like, are you sure it's not this? fucking hysterics crying like i've been in therapy for 20 years had never had that breakthrough it's just it's just one of those things i can just see it i wish i couldn't (laughs) i really do but so i can my biggest frustration is i can see these people who want to change the world and want to and i know what they need to do and i will tell them hey here's what you need to do do this we'll get on our call the next week did you do it no right why not i don't know i got busy you didn't what do you mean you work for yourself what do you mean what'd you get what'd you get busy doing what did you get busy doing? Oh, I, uh, I'm stressed. Well, of course you're stressed. You're not doing anything. Here's the plan. There's only one reason why. Yeah. That's the elephant in the room. So, okay, hang on. So here's, here's the caveat with entrepreneurship. I wish you guys could all see Nick sitting like Gandhi right now. <laughs> Go on. The, the distance between where somebody is and where they want to be is so fucking small but it's pitch black it's pure darkness and if we were to if all the lights were to shut off right now you couldn't see a single thing all you would have is your perception to see how big this room was and it's going to look infinite it's going to look like it stretches so far you'll never get to the end of it and what do you do you'll panic and you'll run out because you have no idea what's waiting for you. Yeah. And when it comes to this space of getting people to actually do what they need to do, it it has to come with them sitting in the darkness and looking at the things inside of themselves that they haven't wanted to look at. If you actually start taking action and you start doing the things that I'm asking you to do, oh, you're going to start making progress in your business. I've seen it. I've seen people check in with me and they say, oh, shoot, I'm, I only made 3000 this month. There's four days left. I'm not going to hit my 10K goal. And I say, shut the fuck up and go do this. And they'll pull in 6K in a day. I watch it. I watch them do it. So why don't we do it consistently? Well, shit, because if I start doing this work consistently and I start getting success, I'm going to have to let go of all these stories that have kept me safe. I'm going to have to let go of all this all these stories of why I can't be where I need to be. And I actually have to take responsibility for myself, which means I have to look at all of these parts that I've been neglecting. And I have to come up with that trauma. I have to look at that thing that I did when I was 12. I have to look at that person that I cheated on. I have to look at all the bad things that I've done. I've got to come face to face with all these parts of my shadow that put me into an utter panic every time I'm faced with them. I have to sit in my darkness long enough for my eyes to actually adjust. And that's why people don't do it. There's all the formulas on the planet, but if you don't do the deep fucking hard work to understand who you are and understand who you are not, you're always going to panic when you're in the darkness and you'll never go through it. Why do some people thrive when faced with fear and others shut down? I think that it's, it's really what story you're the most committed to reinforcing. Mm. 
that's it. People don't, I, again, I work with people all the time and I will tell them, you don't want this. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, I do. What'd you do this weekend? Oh, my friends were out. So I went and told these, okay, that's interesting. Let's fast forward three years ago when you were working for someone else. When you had to go punch in, you had to do eight hours of work. You couldn't be on your phone. You couldn't talk to your friends. You had 45 minutes for lunch. You had a set of things that you needed to get done by the end of the shift. And you got it done every single fucking day. (laughs) And if work said you needed to work on a Saturday and your friends were going out, you know what you told your friends? Oh, shoot. I'm so bummed. I have to work. There was no budging on the work that you needed to get done when you were working to build somebody else's life. And the second we start building our own life, the second somebody goes all in on themselves, well, now they're watching Netflix, now they're reading books, now they're going to the grocery store, now they're scrolling on Instagram, now these eight-hour workdays that they were doing for someone else turn into 30 minutes of work a day, and it turns into weekends off, and it turns into all of these excuses and reasons to rebel against structure. So when then there's fear, now there's an excuse for why they are the way that they are. Now there's another justification for them to not put in the work necessary. Fear is always there. Fear is not going anywhere. Fear, courage can't exist without fear. Fear, courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the acceptance of fear. It's the saying and instead of but, Yeah. right? I'm afraid, but, or I'm afraid and I'm still going to do it. Right. That's courage. You're afraid. Great. Use it. If that's, if that's, the only tool in your toolbox, use it. Mm. But most people are, are, they think too much. That's the, that's the thing. They think too much. They're going, well, if I do this, then what's going to happen? If I do this, then what's going to happen? Then they get overwhelmed. They don't do anything. Yeah. It's the number one thing I tell, just do something. Well, what should I do? I don't literally anything, anything to do is better than nothing. Here's 10 things you can do right now. And they still won't do it. I'm curious if, uh, your thoughts on what I'm about to say. So as I mentioned, like the last year pivoting, really coming into a, a more like the way I've been explaining it to like my students and stuff is just like, and friends in real life is like, I just feel like a man now. Mm-hmm. I just understand what it means to be a man. Now. I resonate. That's the easiest way to put it. Yeah. And as I've transitioned into more of this season and owning my masculinity Mm -hmm. as the leader, the hunter, the provider, the warrior, not trying to suppress it anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I run a group uh, you're very familiar with, but for the audience, um, the Level Up Collective, it's a wealth mastermind. We have about 250 students and we host calls one to two times a month. And when I'm not teaching masterclasses, we'll do Q and A's. And I find myself in, and maybe it's just the season I'm in, I don't know, but that's why I want your perspective because you're in a similar position that a lot of the audience is not. To me, I'm re- I review the question submissions every time mm-hmm. and I sit there and I go, is me answering these even helpful? And it's all people want. It's all they want. They want Jeremy's perspective Mm -hmm. on their struggle they want me to validate it they want me to maybe reinforce it they want me to at least they want to be seen and heard Mm -hmm. and understand that 
their struggle is okay. And it is. But whether the question is super logical, left brain type A, like what exact asset allocation would you recommend for, I have $60,000, here's my risk tolerance, whether it's that or whether it's super right and something about, you know, what was your process like of healing and Mm -hmm. shadow work to where you are now? Whole spectrum, right? And I just sometimes, this is lately, the last few months, I'm like, and this is, you know, very transparent because uh, my many of my students will watch this. Likewise. I think we're in a weird position because it's like the elephant is the in the room, just being honest, is that winners win and losers lose. And nothing that me or Nick say or do can necessarily change that. And that is kind of at the root, at the heart of what I'm wanting to make sure we kind of end off on. Cause so, it's been, so important. it's been a lot today about me and you, but mm-hmm. this isn't really about me and you. I think a lot of that was us giving context. Absolutely. Of like where we've been, what it's like different seasons, journeys, so you guys can understand. But for today's position, where we're both at in our life during this season, I read these questions and I just think to myself, I almost feel like a circus act. Mm -hmm. I feel like the townspeople are like to line up every other Saturday to watch the spectacle that we've become when we do what we do, man. And it's like, I have such mixed feelings about it because we're both here because we want to help other people alleviate suffering, live a better life, have more purpose, fulfillment, et cetera. But can we really even do that? I, I start, I'm sure you do the same thing. I start most of my group teachings with the disclaimer of, hey, I have just as much ability to give you the best advice of your life as I do to give you the worst advice of your life. It's up to you to use critical thinking, discernment, and figure out what makes sense for you. I don't know. I do not know what makes sense for you. I can tell you what I see. I can tell you what I would recommend. But you have to be able to think for yourself. Nobody does it. And man, I mean, that's a, I mean, it's a heavy topic that you brought up. I mean, it is because I, I resonate so much with that. And there's also the flip side and it, it, it really, the part that really fucking frustrates me is when I constantly ask myself the question, why the fuck do I care more about your business than you? Why the fuck do I care more about you? healing and achieving your dreams than you that's what i'm talking why am why am i the one sitting here saying hey why aren't you posting more content hey why aren't you doing these things i ask like why aren't you getting after it you should be asking your fucking self that you should be looking at yourself in the mirror and saying why aren't i doing more of this like this is what i want this is my fucking dream why am i more fired up about your dreams than you Why am I reaching out to you to book calls with me so I can help you with what you're struggling with? Why the fuck is that even on the table for you? 
Why are you investing your time and money into a container and not doing anything the fuck about it and then wondering why your clients are doing the same thing to you? You're setting the tone for your whole life coming into these containers and not doing anything. Dude, I'm telling you, it. This, if you want a conversation to fire me up, it is this. I, I throw so many. This re- is what we've been building up to. But it's like, these are the resources I put out. I'm like, damn, people are having a hard time getting support throughout the week. Let me do weekly additional support calls every Tuesday. Damn, people aren't getting the work done that I asked them to. Let me host two-hour work sessions every Thursday where I'm on a Zoom and I'll work with them for two hours straight. Nobody fucking shows up. Welcome to running a group. Why the fuck? Are you complaining about your business or your life not being where you want it to be if you will not use any resources that are available? I don't have time to get there. You're not working. You have too much time. That's why you're overwhelmed. That's why you're stressed. That's why you're unaligned. You have too much time. You're not fucking doing anything with it. I it it. Ugh, I'm fired up right now. I'm sorry. And it's time. This is where everything we've talked about today comes full circle. Oh, I'm. I'm heated because right what you're speaking to, it's a unique position we're in. Mm-hmm. Not that many people understand what we're talking about. Yeah. Unless they're in this position. So that's why I feel, even though a lot of creators would be like, you're going to put that out. And it's like, yeah, yeah, it's important. Yeah. I don't give a shit. If it loses me money, wonderful. I don't, well, I don't uh, care about give me, that. Give me one second to just position this in a different way. Fitness coach. You have a 400 pound person coming into your program. Every time you check in, they don't do their workouts, they don't track their macros, and they don't do their cardio. And you're going, dude, you're going to die if you don't do this. Why do I care more about your health for your family than you? Yeah. Right? Same thing. Right. Same thing. Everybody, I'm I'm sure more people can understand it in that context. Yeah. So in these examples, when you were going on your, when you were like fired up. When I was getting a little Why do I care more about this than you? Why do I care about more, more about this than you? Why am I doing this, not you? We started off earlier talking about both of our past and how there's that dog mm-hmm. from the childhood, right? That unquenchable drive. That's the same reason you never need someone to do that to you, right? To try to motivate you. And I feel like, in that same sense of, and we went through kind of my childhood, it's like I didn't have that upbringing, but for whatever reason, I internalized it how I did, and and I have that too. Mm-hmm. And so when I, to even build a group like I've built or you've built, or to even run it, you have to have that drive. That's what allows us to be where we are. Mm-hmm. But then the catch-22 of what I'm really opening up here is like people, I think half the time or more hire us just because they're like, I want that. I don't have that. And they just like watch us like a spectacle, like we're a mm. fucking Certainly. animal yeah. in an enclosure. And they're mm. like, oh my God, like, you know, just got chills. This was life changing. Mm. You know, the feedback that we both get every time we speak, you give it your all, you channel, you tear the house down and they go back to their life. Mm. And it's like, that doesn't nothing changes and i think what's happening is people are is like we have to reach into our past Mm -hmm. and give them some of our overflowing motivation Mm -hmm. and that's what we do but like at the end of the day 
they have to keep coming back to get it from us because they don't have it. Wow. Now, wow, that's that's actually very profound. So now, now there's this catch twenty two question of. That's why I'm like, can I? Can we even help? Them? At least with our words. Well, because it so, does help to 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 embody something. Yeah. To stand for something and to be an example of what's possible well, that helps. To be honest, this is also why. And I was just talking to you about this. I know you did this with the LUC last year, but we just re reestablished our massive standard of excellence when people come into my master right now like we inter i interview their partner as well their spouse hey if they're <laughs> fucking up in six months do you still support them hey if they're fucking around on you and they're being a shithead at home i need to know about it i'm not about that everything needs to be cohesive if they're going to be successful here you guys cool with that i mean we do we do a whole vetting process now to make sure that i'm getting people that are more inclined to work but when i back to the archetype that you're speaking of which we both have in our containers what again frustrates me the most is i'll see them sometimes siphon enough motivation to go do something and prove to themselves that they can and then they're right back to normal and it's like what i'm telling you i'll see people go out oh i'm not gonna hit my goals and i say go do this right now and i'll be on them i'll text them the next day how are we doing are we ready we can and i'll i'll overly touch base with them to motivate them and they'll fucking produce an outcome and then they'll look at the other students. But it's pulling from you. Yes. It's pulling from your childhood. But I'm I'm over. This is what I mean. I'm You're over overflowing. Here. I'm overflowing and I am actively going to seek out time out of my day and my life that I've built so hard to give me peace and time from. I'm taking time out of that to text you to make sure you're still on top of the goals that we set for your business. How can that ever work? But then there's the students that it does work for. And that's also... There's there's the students in that, my mind. There's, there's the students the, yeah. that come into my mastermind yep. their first month ever in business and crush a $20,000 month. I hosted a free masterclass. Everyone, here's ex an exact formula right. of how you could start a brand new business and get 10 to 20K collected in the first month. I had over 400 people either live or watch the replay. One person came back and said, dude, I did everything you said. I made 20K. One person. There are anomalies. Yeah. So are, do we do what we do for the anomalies and we just have to accept what comes with it? I think I, I honestly feel as if, and this might be a fleeting hope, I think that there is a, a hope inside of me right now that because this conversation actually ended up being so raw and real that- Probably too real, but- But if some of our students actually do listen to this yeah. and, and maybe think- Oh my God, I hope they're not talking about me. Exactly. That a switch flips. Yeah. I hope if you're one of my students that that happens to, I hope that that happens for you. I do. Because I'm saying this with pure love, so much love that it pisses me off. 100%. So much love. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, you can get upset. I think it would there be are, hard to misconstrue this conversation as not. not coming from a place of caring. But there are very few coaches in this space that we do that are going to get fired up like this. That's just no, the truth. Yeah. That's no. just the fucking truth. They're just going to go double down on marketing and sales ads and fill it up. They don't care about their churn rates. They don't care about you. You're a number. Mm -hmm. And that shit, again, it just pisses me off yeah. more than anything yep. on the planet. And one, that's why we always have aligned so much is because that's how we've always been. And it's just this, it's a very intricate, shitty weird 
dance with people. I wish I wish I could do it all for them sometimes. I do. I wish I could. But I know if I did, it all fall apart. And that's what's crazy to think about. Like, let's take it one step further. We're both the type of person where we're not going to do something just to do it. Mm-hmm. If I'm coaching and you're coaching, it's solely with the intent to coach the next up and comer prodigy. Yeah. Transform. Like I'm not trying to like help people just not be poor. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to have generational wealth success stories. Yep. Same. Like it, I'm not shooting for like this and you're the same type of person. Yep. So that's our mindset and our frame and our everything when we do what we do. And yet with this essence of what we're talking about, of this commonality of having to like pull from your reserves Mm. to give them this temporary thing that they're like, oh my God, I'm so motivated. And then goes back because that's not their baseline. This is our baseline, bro. Mm. I'm going somewhere with this. How can they ever expect to compete with people like us? That's the elephant in the room. Well, I'm trying to coach people to become better than me. And yet they need to pull from my reserves. Right. Few. 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 It can't happen. It can't happen. And I feel like if this conversation went viral, viral, like news, media, global story, the self-help space ceases to exist. Yeah, that's true. And this is from someone who's, I mean, look at Nick's backdrop. I've read all the books. Mm -hmm. I've done the courses. I follow the guys you follow. A book doesn't change you. (laughs) Well, people- people I came all the way back at 31, Nick, to realizing- (laughs) It's six-year-old me in the fucking closet pissed off because I got sent to my room again for some stupid shit and my parents don't listen to me and they tell me I'm too argumentative. I think think that people... So this is another conversation. So when it comes to how do they compete with us, they just don't. You don't. I'm sorry. You can... Here's the thing. You can make more money than me. You can have a bigger business than me. You'll never compete with me ever. I'm in my own lane. I'm doing my own thing. I'm doing my own path. I don't give a fuck who's in front of me. You can have 15 Lambos. You're not even on my radar. That's just who I am. Don't care. Most famous person in the world in front of me. Don't care. I'm because I'm going this way. And I think a lot of times people will pedestal substantially. And it's it's very arguably extremely unfair. Very unfair. For, I just did a whole episode on this with Aaron Abke. Okay. So people like us in the space, oh, yeah. when you're the coach, you're, you're God. You, I've never seen it more than with Aaron Abke because mm-hmm. of what he teaches. People actually DM me saying that they think he's the son of Christ. Oh, we all are. So I'm not se- wrong. No, I'm serious. That's crazy. <laughs> like people tell me they've had spiritual premonitions that that's Jesus. Like it's weird. I got to follow him. I don't it's follow weird. Him. I don't really know his stuff. I'm yeah. 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 You guys collaborate. Yeah. Well, um, surprise, surprise. He's a normal human. <laughs> and that's what the episode was about. I interviewed him in a way to show his humanity mm. because the internet doesn't see that. And he has like literal occult following that he didn't ask to be treated mm. that way. And it's exactly what I said. I said, it's unfair to them because you're never going like you're buying into duality. Right. He's no different from you. 
you're putting yourself in a box and it's unfair to him because mm-hmm. it's actually not flattering at all. It's unfair. Well, it also, so just coming back to like our containers, yeah. the unfair thing is that when people come in to be saved and then they bring with them no personal responsibility. That's what I'm talking about. For their side of the equation. I think and, they're paying us to pull from our reserves. And in a way, I'm okay with that if they're bringing some of their own fuel to the fire as well. I have an abundance to give. I'm not running out of fire anytime soon. But if they want to live an extraordinary life, nothing can happen. Can you be someone who needs to pull from other people's reserves? You get what I'm saying? And just to clarify for the audience, we didn't rehearse this and I didn't necessarily intend to go this much into it. I had no idea this conversation. And Nick definitely didn't, but it is what it is. These are honest, let me very honest thoughts that I'm having in real time. Let me answer this question. Can somebody build an extraordinary life pulling from other people? I think that you can if it's in order for you to get a taste of what's possible for yourself. I like that. And you use that and you turn it around and you take the responsibility for it. If I pulled this from Jeremy and I was able to feel it, that means that there's something inside of me that has the capacity to feel this. Yep. And But we take all responsibility and we put it on the coach. We put it on the container. Well, I was in Jeremy's container. My business didn't go well. He sucks. He doesn't pay attention to his tunes. He has too many people in his container now. That's not personal anymore. Mm-hmm. That's not fucking true. You don't have personal responsibility. It's not my, it's what I just said earlier. It's not my fucking job to reach out to you. It's your job to book a call. It's your job to show up on the calls. It's your job to do the homework. I'm not your father. I'm not replacing your father. The personal responsibility, I think, is what's missing from people. There's always a reason to give it away. Like, you grow up from poverty, so the fuck did I. Your mom didn't love you, neither did mine. Your dad wasn't around, neither was fucking mine. (laughs) Right? You you got cheated on in every relationship you've been in, fucking same here. Your darkness is still controlling you. Mine's not. That's the difference. That's the only difference. I took responsibility for my darkness. And that right there is really where... This is arguably the my favorite podcast episode I've ever had. <laughs> yeah. I'm juiced right now. It's, it's really where this conversation needed to go. You guys are really getting to see, just so you understand, uh, a completely unrehearsed conversation that me and Nick have when cameras are off. Mm-hmm. But we haven't had this conversation yet. This is a real time. This is real time combo. Thinking it through. What do you think? Well, what do you think about this? And what about is this? And um, I, I honestly just got another download where I think that people struggle with authenticity. So they pull from us because they see well who they are works. Mm. So let me try to pull. But from- what's crazy is you can never. You will never be better at being someone else than they are. You're not going to be better at me than me. You can never like model that and all the way. Like there's this notion in the personal development space, right? Like models, modeling success and modeling your mentors. And I fully agree. Model actions. I fully agree. I also think like modeling, like core values can be helpful, like things like that. But people like take it as like, you know, be them let me try to be that. And it's like, you will never 
that's not a sustainable strategy. Mm-hmm. And it's this notion that I'm speaking to is like, me and you seem to have this like insatiable, we have this unlimited reserve that we can tap into. It's the same thing that like immigrants have or, mm-hmm. you know, and I've, I've always been low key obsessed with, I guess what I would say is like greatness. Like I, it started out as sports. I was obsessed with um, like, you know, Kobe Bryant and Derek Jeter and, and Tom Brady and like the best athletes in sports, but then it evolved to like business and culture. And so, you know, I've been studying the ultra successful, the 1%, not just financially. Now it's financially the 1%, but it's, it's just the 1%, the outliers for like 12 years now reading, you know, books, documentaries, all the things. And that's where a lot of these questions and conversations come from. It's not like from, from a space of like, I have it figured out. Here is what you have to do. Mm-hmm. It's more of like, I'm not convinced it's this or this and just kind of talking about it in real time. But one thing that I have seen is just that over and over and over and over, the people we idolize in society, they're usually pulling from an unhealthy place. Trauma. They're pulling from an unhealthy place. Mm-hmm. Kobe died an unhealed man. Mm-hmm. Michael Jordan. Damn, that was heavy. Michael Jordan. That was heavy. Is just as much of a chip on his shoulder. He's living with just as much of a chip on his shoulder today as back when he was in the Bulls. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you study it over and over and over and you just see like a tennis players is another example. I don't know if you've seen documentaries on tennis players, but holy shit. You think it's like just a casual rich person sport. These people are fucked up Mm -hmm. mentally. There's a good Netflix special for the audience called, I think it's called Breakpoint or Breaking Point. Mm. And it's the perfect title for it because they all are mentally, they're like, this is the sickest sport in my, like sickest meaning like unhealthy. Yeah. See, and like dude, they have anxiety attacks. and pisses me off the most is that we fucking glamorize the people who are traumatized. Yes. They're like, damn, they're so fucked up in the head. Look how successful they are. And the second we're fucked up in the head, we're like, well, that's why I can't do anything. Well, that's kind of what the fuck does that even mean? That's the whole thread of this, which is like, I've been studying this for a long time and I see it over and over and over. But I personally took a different path. I wasn't successful in the ways I wanted to be until I healed. Mm, I had to let go of that to become who I was meant to be. But then that's where this shit comes full circle Go back because I healed so much that I was like, I, I am period. Period. But then what do you do with that? Dude. So that's where all this conversation connects. So there's this of, (sighs) is it an, or, or is it an, and it's 100%. And I think we're stepping into our season of, and, Mm -hmm. and I think that is our larger message here. Even let's tie it all the way to the clients and what we're talking about with like they're pulling from our reserves. They have to both heal and find their own dog. Yeah, the darkness. And it's it's, healing and integrating at the same time. That's the that's kind of like the the it's like there's healing over here, there's a darkness over here, and you you gotta get to the point where they can shake hands in the middle. Right. When when there's when those two shake hands, that's when everything starts to change and you stop fearing hard work you stop fearing the voices in your head you stop worrying about what everybody's going to think about you because you're like what if everybody hates me and then there's a party that's like you already hate you (laughs) 
right? You're <laughs> That's like, great. what yeah. the fuck? Like you eight mile Eminem them. You're exactly. like, what the fuck are you going to say about me that I don't already know? I've yeah. accepted that shit. Oh, you think I'm a piece of shit? You think I'm stupid? You think that I don't know what I'm talking about? I already had that conversation 10 years ago, bucko. What are you going to tell me that I don't already know about me? Yeah. You're going to, what? Nothing. You're not going to throw me off because now I know who the fuck I am. I know how powerful I am. And with that, I've developed the personal responsibility to control it. Right. You can't move me anymore. Man, this is deep. Mm. I think the reason I wanted to go here is because, you know, on the one hand over here, you have you have society. And like you said, we glamorize these people in culture. And and if you actually look into their stories and you study them, you will click quickly see that you wouldn't want their life. It's they're generally a very they're running away from something mm-hmm. very dark and that's how they're able to put in that level of sadistic work ethic and, and have that level of chip on their shoulder to become that. Like, you know, the typical examples, like if you watch the, um, the last dance, the documentary on Michael so Jordan, like good. his teammates, like were not only afraid of him, but they hated him. They didn't want to be near him. Like he was, it's not like a fun rah, rah thing. Like Steve jobs, like same concept. Like, so these people, they're, yeah, but you it's, know what? When you demand greatness, people hate you. That's right. it. People, you want people to think you're an asshole, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. I want people to look at you and go, Jeremy's a fucking dick, but damn, he gets it done. Right. I want people to look at me. Nick's a fucking asshole, but he gets results. Yeah. Because that asshole is just me holding you to a higher standard than you've ever even known that you can be at. Yeah. Period. So on the one hand, we have that is what's glamorized in society. But mm-hmm. I always looked at that as I started to, you know, learn, read biographies and learn these things. And I'm just like, I don't want that, mm. but I, but I want that. <laughs> it's like, I want the, I want that life. I want that level of challenge. I want that level of proving it to myself. I want that level of purpose, fulfillment, etc. I want to go on that level of journey, but I don't, want to hang on to these things my whole life and so that's been like my journey of navigating all of that and then think that there's a point where you can actually let go of the monster and this is yeah this is where where i've been at the last year or so is thinking about that and that's what i'm that's why i'm giving so much context about like Mm -hmm. this is what drives most of the 0.1 percent achievers it's not healthy what if that's why but, it's there though? You know, like we we have this conversation that it's not healthy. Then it's like, why does everybody with it achieve greatness? Well, what that's if- the thing. So they they achieve like usually they become the villain in their own story. Mm-hmm. They achieve everything just to burn it all down. It's like your stereotypical, I'm trying to think of a movie that exemplifies the story arc very well. It's your stereotypical you know, like they go on the hero's journey. They have, they, they commit to this epic quest. And then in the process, it changes them. They lose themselves and they burn it all down. They lose everyone they've ever loved mm-hmm. or, you know, they wind up in jail. It, it's that kind of story. Right. And so it's like you gain the world, but you lose your soul is essentially the, the cliche of it. Yep. And I think in the, in the game that, that we're playing, I'll, at least I'll just speak for myself. The game I'm playing, I'm wanting to play and that I've had to define for myself is success can't be like unilateral. I'm not willing to be a billionaire, but 
my kids hate me. I've had mm-hmm. I've had three failed relationships. Oh, chill, right? No, meaning like <laughs> the typical. I'm kidding. You know, life support payouts or uh, child support payouts and prenups and all. You know, the typical billionaire. <laughs> yep. That type of of reality, overweight, chronically stressed, like you don't have. You know, so defining success for yourself. And then learning to run that race. And I think it's been an interesting thing of like, I got so into the healing that I started to realize like, oh, I'm not really like running that race. Like in order to play it at a higher level, like I need to like tap back into this. But when I was just in this, I could never have gotten to where I am now because it was just like, as Jack says, if I wouldn't have changed my ways, met her and, and not ran away from when things got hard we just had our five-year anniversary uh last night i would have she's like you would be in this in this uh mansion alone Mm -hmm. and you'd be very lonely and your life would not have much to celebrate and i'm like you're right so you know what that's that's why i respect you so much as a man why is you're able to recognize that Mm. you're able to recognize that whatever you build it's worth nothing without someone yeah it's just not yeah it's like we as society we we like stoicism is like the glamorized thing or being the lone wolf and putting your head down and grinding and blocking everybody out it's like dude that is so every single person who's ever made one of those motivational videos doesn't have somebody to share stuff with because when you actually have somebody that you, I mean, dude, like I, like I don't envy you, but I've never had a relationship where my partner has looked me in the eyes and said, I believe in you. I've never had that. And that's, that's hard. That's a lot harder than people think it is to never have that. And so it's like seeing somebody who has it and, and knowing you as a man, but knowing how much you respect that and honor that is, it's everything. I appreciate that reflection, brother. I can imagine that I can imagine that must drive you at this stage of your life. I try to let it not. You know, it's it's one of those things where I don't want my my motivation for my life to be to finally find someone to share it with. Right. But how could I not? Yeah. How could you not want somebody to share that with? It's like one of those things where I healed the monster. I broke out of poverty. I have financial security and I'm lonely. Right. What else is there for me to do? Yeah. Who am I building for anymore? Like I'm good. Right. I don't have a family on my mind. I'm not thinking about kids. Mm-hmm. I'm not thinking about my wife. I'm not thinking about my home. You are so much more powerful when you have someone. I don't care what anybody says. You are so much more powerful when you have someone. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, it's very interesting, man. During my Jax reminds me of this so so often. So when I met her, I told her straight out the gate that I wasn't interested in dating. And I told her that I told her what I had told any girl during my twenties that I dated, which was I'm not settling down until I'm 30 and I've accomplished everything I set out to accomplish. <laughs> <laughs> that was the boys yeah excuse best plan at that time and 80 to 90 percent of it was 
my trauma. Mm-hmm. And then 10% was practicality <laughs> of like, let me get this out of the way first. So like I can attract a high value woman because mm-hmm. who's going to want to date me when I'm living at my mom's $50,000 in debt, driving a $2,000 Altima that she bought me. You know what I mean? That was my mind frame. Of course. And it's so funny how life happens because, because I said that story so many times and like, you know, wrote it out. Like I would envision like exactly my, my dream woman and like, but I would envision that I'm 30 and that I'm this man. And then I meet her, which was coming from unworthiness, which is funny. But that's how I would do it over and over. And I would tell people and because because, you know, there were times where my friends were like, are you gay? Like, you could just tell us. And I'm like, no, just have a level of discipline. No, you can't I'm fathom. Focus. <laughs> like, for real. Focused. Like, they actually. Anyway. Um, and then I meet Jax. And I'm what? 26. 25. Yeah. Turning. Yeah, I'm 25 or 26. And I'm a boy. and. I was so resistant to it. Like, Mm -hmm. obviously she's beautiful and I viewed her as like outside of my league. Mm -hmm. Um, Older than me. I thought she was like rich for some reason. (laughs) Um, You know, all all these stories I had, but, and I tried to, I tried to resist it. I, I didn't invest in it for a while. and then even when I did, it was like one foot in, one foot out, you know, because I'm my mind frame. I was still a boy. I was in my 20s. I was like, well, I got to like definitely not saying this is for life. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we're just dating. Yep. Like, this is just dating. Just a pastime. And, and then like all of a sudden it's like we've been together two years, all of a sudden two and a half, all of a sudden three. And it's like, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, fuck, I'm not 25 anymore yeah i'm like a fucking man and you have a child who's at peak importance age six seven eight very important age and that child needs a conscious masculine influence and you know i had two options (laughs) uh be the boy i was so used to being and make create a self-fulfilling prophecy that I could use as justification to run away because I didn't feel worthy as a man. I didn't know how to be a man. I didn't know how to be a father. (laughs) What? It's like my worst fear. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to be a provider, a protector. That's a lot of pressure. That sounds like a lot of pressure. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think when you find the right person, they won't let you, they won't let you revert back into your old self. Right. They'll call forward your, which is triggering. Your new self. Triggering. Very triggering. triggering. Very triggering. Especially as a man with the whole notion of like feeling demasculated when Mm -hmm. you're called forward, Mm -hmm. but you're acting like a boy Mm -hmm. and the feminine's calling you forward to act like a man. And you're like, you feel demasculated. You feel shame. Yeah, it's been a journey, man. But I mean, I've watched it now that all of a sudden, you know, because the success is by no means linear. So all of a sudden, 28, 29, 30. Yep. And then it's like, wow, it finally happened. And 
fuck, if I would have stuck to my plan, you would have had none. I'd be so fucking emotionally inept, lonely, starting from square one. It's like, I don't know. I don't know how much of it finally like clicking for me and taking off was her presence in my life. Like, that's just, you know, my story. Um, because I think there was such a deep interconnection between why I had all those stories and why I made my plan of like, not going to do it till 30 and my relationship to all the things in business that I didn't feel worthy of doing. Mm -hmm. And so facing those in the battleground of the conscious relationship and not running away from them, you start to see, okay, you're more worthy than you thought you can do these things. Mm -hmm. And then that translates. And one day I wake up and I'm just like, it's like, it's really weird to try to explain. I don't know if you can relate, but it was like, yes, it was like yesterday I had the mind frame of, oh, I'm young. I have so much life to live and I'm in my twenties and, and responsibilities were minimal. And then I blink and I'm like, I'm a fucking man. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of responsibility and pressure. I I don't have the pressure from, you know, a woman or her son. Yeah. But I do resonate with you just kind of wake up one day and go, oh, this all makes sense now. Yeah. Or, oh, why was I even doing that? Yeah. It's, it's just, like you said, it's so hard to explain. It's just, it's like one day you literally just wake up and you're a man and obviously there's all the work that leads up to that which is where we've already talked about that but yeah it's just you. it's like the work allows you to gradually shift into the man it doesn't happen overnight but it's as if our perception of ourselves does shift yeah, overnight. yeah it's like you've done like i couldn't i never saw myself like that seriously even when you, i had money you do enough actions over time and you start to believe the new version of you right yeah and so it's like for me one of my things was i was extremely sarcastic yeah yeah that's always been your shtick that was always my shtick and i actually had a massive awakening around that and i had traced it back to the first girlfriend i ever had cheated on me at Mm. her best friend's wedding and in front of me i watched it oh damn it was crazy um and we broke up three weeks went by we met up and i she walked in my door and I was like, holy shit, I'm still in love with her. And I just told her everything. I'm still in love with you. I want to make this work. I think I made a mistake. I'm willing to work through it. And she took that in that moment and used it as ammunition and was kind of like, well, if you, if you actually love me, then you'll give me the time to heal because you fucked me up when you broke up with me. And I was like, oh, okay, I thought you cheated on me, but like, that's okay, all right? And I sat and and just had to hear through the grapevine as she started just sleeping with all my friends. And it was in that moment that I had, that if I traced back when my immense sarcasm started, it was that point. Mm. And I realized that when I- fooled, It usually, sarcasm usually covers up sadness. Well, grief. I- fully spoke my truth of where I sat and it was used against me to hurt me. Right. 
And I would start to recognize where all of my friends would always say a joke. Oh, I can never, I can't tell if you're serious or not because you're always so joking. And to me, that was safety. Mm. To me, there was this immense protective power. It gave you like a cloak of, you don't know if I'm kidding or not. Yep. And so it gave me this, this false sense of security where I was like, okay, good. Nobody does know if I'm serious or not. So I can, I can, both of those lily pads are close enough for me to jump to whichever one I need to just in case. And I also, obviously we can see how that was hard for intimate relationships. I didn't, I didn't want anybody to know how I actually felt because it would be used against me. Mm -hmm. So letting that go. And I had a very intricate, um, psychedelic experience during a breathwork session and there was i was in this water and there was this massive anaconda so 100 feet long and i'm hanging nightmare (laughs) and i'm hanging on this rock wall out of the water and i see it coil it comes up and it coils around me and it goes it goes to bite me and i stab it with a knife and it falls in the water then i'm at a breathwork session and I'm breathing in. And if you ever done breath work, you get fucking, you're like. Yeah, like holotropic. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, all this stuff is happening. And then all of a sudden, the snake's face comes up and meets mine. The knife's still in its head. And I just get this sense that uh, maybe it's not trying to hurt me. And I pull the knife out. And its face instantly heals. And it tells me, I just want you to know who I am. And in that moment, it coils up around me again. And I feel this love and this wow. safety and this warmth. And in that moment, I recognized that that snake inside of me, the sarcasm, he was just trying to protect me from being hurt again. And I spent a decade shaming him. And so it was this massive healing integration and letting go of the fact that it felt like I, it felt like I had re-met a lost long friend that i hadn't seen in decades yeah like i didn't want to leave the situation and just feeling that whole need to be sarcastic to be safe literally just fall off and so to go back to what we were saying is like waking up and being a man there's still these relapses that happen yeah when you when you're healing and i think that's where people throw in the towel so I had this massive breakthrough. Bro. Well, holy shit, I don't need to be sarcastic anymore. And then I'd be in a conversation with somebody. I'd be sarcastic and I'd walk away and go, dang it, I, that, that was sarcastic. You know, and I just started catching it. Yeah, you become more conscious Instead of, of going, fuck, I'm never going to change. I went, okay, I'm still doing it in that situation. That's interesting. So what I did was I told all my closest friends what was happening. And I said, would you guys support me in just calling me out if you hear me doing it? That's all I need. If I'm doing it, just, just call me out that I'm being sarcastic so I can be more aware of it. Yeah. And over time, I've gotten significantly less sarcastic. Yeah. So it's just that progression of, yeah, one day you wake up and you go, holy shit, I'm a man. But that doesn't mean that the little boy doesn't come up here and there. Yeah. That doesn't mean that you don't still make mistakes. Right. That doesn't mean that because we're sitting here saying, oh, I've got my man and my monster side by side that we're just in this bubble of fucking righteousness. I still fuck up all the time. Right. I still do things all the time. I'm like, was that in my best integrity to do that specific thing? Maybe, maybe not. It's just right. humanity. Yeah. And I would, I would say that when you're referencing, uh, what was the exact word you use? Like a relapse? Is that how you said it? Um, for like going back and like, like doing- when you were talking about like, 
becoming a man, but then I think you said there's still relapses into a boy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I would argue that like most of that's the entire healing journey. Mm -hmm. You like you're not healing when everything's dandy because you're not aware of what to heal. (laughs) You, You relapse and then you go, oh, in the darkness, I I thought like my self image says, here's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I'm a man. Why did I just show up like that mm-hmm. in that situation? Oh, and then that's how you identify your next work to do. So yeah, it's like, you know, it's this notion of perfectionism that's often weaved in with spirituality. And I think, you know, it's it's no it's not an agenda, it's no one's fault. It's it's our own egoic faculties do that. Yep. It's like the this the whole inner work and spiritual space and spirituality as a lifestyle is is amazing it's just that there are confines because we're we can only filter our experience and reality through our egoic faculties yep. and that's what causes all of these issues that we've talked about today mm-hmm. yeah i think this was uh i think it's a good place for it this was a hell of a conversation we went a lot of different directions gave people a lot of different things to think about i i i honestly do feel like that's this was probably the most valuable conversation we've ever had yeah and yeah i'm i'm honestly just really interested in how our audiences mine me too digest sure. it and i hope they stick or i hope they stick around for the entire thing because stick around. you can you can tell me if if you felt this as well but there was a distinct moment in our conversation today where we both shifted completely out of our head oh yeah into our body yep and into our heart and we went from heavy masculine energy to more feminine present moment awareness like mm-hmm. i'm not i wasn't fully sure what i was saying yeah i agree and um that was really that is more than anything we can say on the podcast that felt sense is pretty cool of mm-hmm. we just rode the spectrum yeah and that is the human experience and that is what today's episode was all about and that's the title of the episode the the essence of today's conversation is darkness and the light masculine and the feminine monster and the man right and so it's Mm -hmm. you know it's your background it's my background it's the audience it's where we're at today it's where we used to be it's our relationship to the boy inside of us, yeah. our relationship to the man inside of us. It's the healing work, but it's also this, and and that's the human experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a wild, wild ride. Amen, brother. Amen. Anything you want to? Uh, I think if I let if, the people know about, yeah. Well, nothing to know about. I mean, you guys can find me on Instagram. It's I'm sure it'll, my name will be on the episode for yours. Yeah, we'll and, have it up. And on Jeremy's the will be on for mine. I run most of my stuff through Instagram. Um, I, I just think if there was if there was one more thing for me to just say to everybody, it's it's that you everybody has a darkness inside of them. Yeah, and I think the best thing that you can do is find it. That's that's the number one thing. I think the best thing you can do is find it. And I think if your life or your financial situation isn't where you want it to be, you literally need to take full ownership, full ownership, and just start doing something. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like it's a good it's a good starting point. Yeah, 
don't live there forever, but don't be naive and and just bypass it all together mm-hmm. if you're not where you want to be. I think that's what a lot of our message is. is like, yep. I think a lot of people are skipping that and they're just like trying to go straight to the healing work. And it's like, well, that could really help you get things started, get your life in a better position to where you can afford yourself the time and you luxury. You can do it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, you can do it at the same time. So that's what I got for you guys today. Cool. All right, guys, we appreciate you as always. We'd love to hear you guys' feedback down below in the comments. Let us know. Tag us on socials. Yep. Tag us on the socials if you're going to repost this or give us any feedback or anything like that. And uh, I'm sure we'll run it back in the next you know, six months or so. But this is where we're both at today. Unapologetically, it is what it is, the raw, real truth. And this is the human experience. So you know, before you go to judge someone through a computer screen, mm-hmm. make sure that uh, you're perfect first. Right. <laughs> All right, guys. Talk later. All right. We'll catch you guys next time. Peace, peace. <laughs>